G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. People, churches, so-called Christians have failed, but God has never failed. He's still a loving God. He's still a caring God. He's still God who wants to save the world, including me. Even though Christians have killed fellow Christians, God's will, God's calling, God's purpose, it's, it's for redemption. It's for reconciliation. It's bringing people back to Him, but also connecting people between themselves. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and welcome to The Story. Well, we turn our focus to the continent of Africa today, where our guest, Christoph Boningarbo, is from. Christoph was born in the Congo and then moved to Rwanda following the horrific 1994 mass genocide in that country. Christoph has dedicated his life to addressing the need for reconciliation in Rwanda, where over a million people died in the genocide, and many of the survivors are still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Christoph is having a chat and sharing his story with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Christoph, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And you are Rwandan. Yes, I am. Your parents are Rwandan. Yeah. But you weren't born in Rwanda. Yeah, I was not born in Rwanda. I was born in the Congo. That's the neighboring country of Rwanda. So how did that come about? Uh, that came about as part of the historical background of Rwanda, uh, where in 1959, uh, many Rwandans, especially those who were identified as a, as a Tutsi, had to flee Rwanda and went to live in the neighboring countries, including Congo. And so that's how my parents ended up there, and that's how I was born there. So that's where you lived? I lived in Congo from when I was born until uh, 1995, when I went to Rwanda for the very first time for me. Okay, so... In between there was the 1994 genocide. So you were in the neighboring country when you're hearing all these news reports of this horrific incidents where over a million people were killed. What were you thinking when you were hearing all those news reports? Yeah, when I was hearing in 1994 what was going on in Rwanda, people being killed, I was not only uh, hearing that, but I was following closely because... I had that connection with yeah, what yeah. was happening. That's where your parents are from. Exactly. And... Of course, there were much things in my my mind. Uh, one is, uh, why is this happening? Why do neighbors are killing their neighbors? Why, why actually do people are being killed uh, just by the fact of the way they are? Not for any other reason. Why a government which was supposed to protect its own people, it's actually the one killing its own people, but also for how long? And, and mm-hmm. you know, it was, I had so many questions in my mind, but also the other question was, you know, is there any hope mm-hmm. for these people and for the country itself? So well, I have a question in my mind. This terrible thing, the genocide, occurred in 1994. Yes. And you said that you went to live in Rwanda in 95. Yes. Why? Yeah. I mean, I would think most people would be <laughs> wanting to go the other way. I know. I understand. Why did I want to go in 1995 in Rwanda after what had happened yeah. in 1994? Yeah, a couple reasons. One, it's because... Um, it was after the genocide uh, was over. There was a new government established. 
and also knowing from our parents and my parents that I had that Rwandan origin and now that with the new government we were we had the right to go back in our in our country mm-hmm. so I felt I need to go back but secondly I needed to go back because in the eastern part where I was born and that we were living until then wasn't safe because oh in the Congo in the Congo okay why because after genocide over 2 million people especially those who were involved in the genocide had fled Rwanda now and they they came in the east part of Congo with a big refugee camp mm-hmm. and that's where they were living and they were living with their their weapons their guns because the UN could not manage them in a sense oh wow so it was it was so unsafe that's uh, uh we so that's ironic to- so your country became unsafe so you went to the country that just had the genocide yeah, to be to be safe to be safe now the genocide was over mm-hmm. and the new government was you know kind of encouraging people to come and live in their country mm-hmm. so i went there because i want to be safe but thirdly i went to find ways to continue with my studies why because in the east part of congo where i was it was hard even to study after what was happening mm-hmm. with all those refugees that come so those were the major reasons why i wanted to go in rwanda 1995 fresh after genocide Okay, now let's turn to your faith life. Did you have a faith in the Lord at that point in your life? At that point I no. I I grew up as a non-practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. My parents had never taken me to the church ever. I don't remember any, any day they took me there. No. So I wasn't really like I can't say I was a Christian by then. Mm-hmm. I knew about God that God exists but not a Christian. And so until I got to Rwanda 1995, it took me like about 5 years before I could become a Christian that since it was 2000 and I be- I became a Christian because it was a time when I was wondering all about Christianity and about God and knowing and seeing what had happened in Rwanda mm-hmm. knowing that uh, many Christians were involved in the genocide knowing that many people were killed from the church buildings yeah share with us about that i mean that's mind boggling the majority of the people of the country of Rwanda called themselves Christian or some type of Christian in 1994 the genocide took place in Rwanda over around 95% of all the population were calling themselves Christians means they were going to church they were one way or another involved in the church activities or they were member of church uh, different denominations but again at the same time in that kind of country the genocide took place and when the genocide was happening many tutsi who were being hunted they ran seeking for refuge in the church buildings mm-hmm. seeking for protection and they got killed today we have former church buildings which have been turned into genocide museum because of the number of people who got killed there we have a priest who were involved in the genocide you have christians pastors who were involved in the genocide mm-hmm. so you can imagine that the whole concept of christianity was put in a question and people were wondering what is all about where is god in in all this and you know why this is happening in this country where people so it, it was hard to find an answer and i think it's still difficult to find an answer today basically what what would you say was the reason this happened i think there are there are various reasons um being becoming a christian afterwards and growing into a christian a mature christian and working you know as a christian you know I have been involved in working with different churches and asking these profound questions and the various reasons one I think in most churches in Rwanda by then we had nominal Christians mm-hmm. we had 
denominational members but not true disciples of Christ. Right. So their faith was maybe ankle deep, if that even. It was more uh, like, you know, shadow Christianity, yeah. not deep transforming yeah. Christianity. Yeah. That's what. Secondly, I think again is how the political propaganda was was very important, has made a huge impact in the mind of people than the gospel of Christ. So the politics and the, the politics, propaganda. The political propaganda, the political ideologies, mm-hmm. which was more spreading the hatred, mm-hmm. had huge impact and made people believe more in the political propaganda, the political hatred than the gospel of mm-hmm. Christ. So the religion took a back Means, seat. in other words, the so-called ethnic identity had more importance than the, the Christian identity in most of lives of Christians. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not only it happened in 1994, but it's not only the case there. Even today, we have so many Christians around the world. They are national identity, their racial identity, their tribal identity is more important than the Christian identity. So that, that's what that's, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons. Now let's get back to you personally. So you saw all this hypocrisy, people calling themselves Christians and yet committing horrendous crimes, but yet you still became a Christian. Yeah, I still became a Christian because I wanted to know more about that God. So mm. I remember when I went first time at church, I was invited by my neighbor. Uh, they had a big conference going on for a week. So I went, first time I did not want, I rejected the invitation. Second time I went. And when I got there, I found a message about Christ about the reason why he came, understood that I was a sinner who needed, you know, the savior and to be saved. I was in the middle of searching. And and so that's how he gave my life to Jesus. But also, after that, I started understanding that, hey, by through reading the Bible, people, churches, so-called Christians have failed, but God have, has never failed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's still a loving God. He's still... A caring God is still God who wants to save the world, including me. So that's why I became a Christian. And that's how, after becoming a Christian, even I start looking more deeply, what is all about this God? Who is a loving God? Who gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die on our behalf? And through that, that's how I start discovering that actually, even though Christians have killed fellow Christians, God's will, God's calling, God's purpose, it's, it's for redemption it's for reconciliation it's bringing people back to him mm-hmm. but also connecting people between themselves so th- that's that's how i actually start digging more deeper and understanding you're listening to the story today eric scadabo is chatting with christoph bonyangabo who is the director of a ministry that is addressing the need for reconciliation in rwanda following the horrific 1994 mass genocide. Next, we're going to find out more about Christoph's life and about how Christianity is having a positive impact on Rwanda. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. 
We're back with Eric Scadabo chatting with Christophe Bonyangabo, who is the executive director of CASA, which stands for Christian Action for Reconciliation and Social Assistance in Rwanda. They are a ministry that's dedicated to addressing the need for reconciliation in Rwanda following the horrific 1994 mass genocide. As we heard before the break, Christophe became a Christian several years after the genocide. And what happened in Rwanda is that some people gave up in despair and said, hey, where is God if something this terrible could happen? Why should we even try anymore? They just gave up hope. But others became closer to the Lord and said, if there's going to be any hope for reconciliation and healing in this country, it's going to come through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened in Christoph's life. And in the lives of many others. Now, here's more of Christoph's chat with Eric Scadabo. Many other people, even genocide perpetrators, we have genocide perpetrators who were involved in the genocide. Some were not even Christians or others were Christians. But when they were arrested and they were in the prisons and churches and the Christian organization went to minister to them from the prisons, preached to them the gospel, and they turned to God and they became Christian. I believe and still believe that God's forgiveness, God's mercy, it's a power to call upon people always to come to him. So I think even though people might have experienced such things like the genocide, but at the end of the day, in Rwanda, people are still discovering that there is God, a loving God, there's God who cares for them, and that's the only hope. Mm -hmm. The the only hope, it's, it's obvious that's, Without God, it's even difficult sometimes to deal with the experience that people have gone through during the genocide. But with God, when people trust in God, you can see a difference between someone who is suffering from the trauma, who doesn't believe in God, and someone who believes in God. It's, it's completely different. Because it believing different? in God, believing in God gives you the foundation to believe that, one, there is a God who cares. There is a God who brings healing through Christ. Because Christ defined himself like if you read Jesus in Luke 4, he's reading but quoting the prophet Isaiah 61. He says, I have come here to heal the wounds, the brokennesses. Jesus said that. Jesus Mm -hmm. Jesus was saying that in in Luke chapter 4, but he was basically quoting what the prophet Isaiah has prophesied about Jesus before, many years before. And I think by Jesus saying that when you look and look, he was kind of giving his mission statement. He was like, hey, see, I have come here. I've been anointed to come and heal the broken and heal the wounds and give freedom to those who are, who are in the burden. So I think that message has been true in my context in Rwanda mm-hmm. with people who believe that God has the power and, and is willing is willing to heal their pain and the bitterness and the, the trauma. So that gives so them hope? That gives them hope. But without that, it's just despair. Yeah, without that, people, it's like, what, 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 why? What's life for me? What's, mm. why it's the meaning of life? Why should I live again? What is it all about? I've lost my entire family members. I've lost my f- friends. Why should I live? Like, this life doesn't have many meaning. And when you talk to them, it takes time. Mm-hmm. For those people who don't believe in Christ to really come out, to believe that life still has meaning, that there is a hope. So I think for those who are Christians who follow Christ, they see hope and therefore 
they believe that Jesus has the power. Mm -hmm. Now let's get back to your own spiritual journey. You became a Christian in 2000, and now you're involved in ministry. Tell us how that happened. Yeah, when I became a Christian in 2000, I was searching, looking for the future, but trying to understand what is the role of Christians in all this process? What's, you know, what's all about being Christian? But secondly, even though I became a Christian, but I could still see that some church members, some Christians were still struggling with these divisions. So they were still struggles within churches by then, even between pastors, between church members. And then I was searching, looking like, if there's no unity in the church, what is the hope from the world? What is the hope for those who are not in the churches? And so by searching the Bible and trying to understand what God was speaking about, that's when I started discovering God's will. And one of the messages or the scripture that I read and was clearly speaking to me was the Second Corinthians 5 from 16 to 20, where it talks about uh, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Mm -hmm. Everything like, you know, everything has passed, new things are, has come. And say that came from Christ who have reconciled us with God. But secondly, he gave us the message of reconciliation and the ministry to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So that message spoke to me very clearly in 2002. But the other piece of the Bible was James chapter 1, verse 27, which speaks the pure religion is the one taking care of the orphan and the widows in their problems. Mm -hmm. And those, those two scriptures spoke to me clearly, and that's where I uh, started the ministry called CARSA that I'm working with today, in 2002. CARSA, mm -hmm. which stands for Christian Action for Reconciliation and Social Assistance, you can even hear that from the name, those two scriptures are coming out. <laughs> One side about reconciliation, we've given the message, we are ambassadors of Christ to speak about reconciliation, but at the same time, we are called to take care of widows and orphans in their problems. So that's how we started this ministry called CARSA. And the whole goal was to bring that message to people, to take the message of reconciliation to genocide survivors and perpetrators, and to show them that even though you've suffered it, but God's will is clear. The reason why God gave Christ was for this, so that we be saved through Christ, but secondly, we spread, we became the ambassador of Christ by showing the love, by showing and proving that forgiveness is possible. Mm -hmm. And that's that's why, that's, that's how we end up starting and being involved in this ministry. And like we've been saying, it could have been very despondent, could have been very sad, the whole situation in Rwanda. But before we started to record, we were talking about how Rwanda is doing very well these days by comparison. Yeah, it's if, a tremendous success story. If if you look if you look at Rwanda today in different areas, twenty five years after the genocide, for instance, if you had never heard about Rwanda in the genocide and you just land in Rwanda, you won't believe that's twenty five years what happened what happened there. It's it's Rwanda today, it's a completely different country hmm. economically, uh, politically stability, but also socially and spiritually there is a hope. Mm -hmm. And especially talking about how did survivors of the genocide and their perpetrators are also part of this transformation where CARSA uh, and other organizations have been involved is that no one can imagine that someone like men or child or woman who have lost their entire family members can be able to forgive the very same person who have murdered the, 
the children. For instance, there's a story of the people work with. A young man who was seven is called Bosco. Bosco was seven years during the genocide. During the genocide, when the genocide happened, he lost his, his father and some siblings. Mm-hmm. So he was able to survive with the mother and two uh, siblings. But as a seven years old boy, it was very hard for him to have his head around, to even accept, to even believe what happened. But oh, secondly, I can't even imagine at seven years old trying to comprehend. But secondly, always. not only to comprehend what happened to the father and the siblings, but also to understand why the neighbors, why the people he trusted as friends of the family were involved in killing the father. So Yeah, it's mind-boggling. Here, after genocide, he tried to go back to school, tried to study, but it was very hard for him. And when he was 12, completely couldn't continue studying because he was suffering physically, psychologically. He was having headache every time. So he stopped going to school. He had clear signs of the trauma and all that. So this is post-traumatic stress disorder? Post-traumatic stress disorder uh, mm-hmm. based on the, what he had experienced. Mm-hmm. So three years ago, almost like three years ago, we met him in our one of the programs that we run called Empower where we bring together genocide survivors and perpetrators in the same room. And this is a program that was developed by an Australian? Yes, it was developed by an Australian psychologist. Dr. Robbie Sonderegger? Yeah, exactly. And so we've contextualized that and, and all that. So we use that, it takes seven days. So Bosco was invited, but this time he came with Joseph. Joseph was the neighbor, but who's involved killing Bosco's father. Oh, wow. But He's also talking to him. Yes, they came in the same workshop. Wow. Bosco was still suffering with the headache. I remember a year ago I visited him and they were explaining how during the time he came to the workshop, he was still every day taking tablet, mm-hmm. trying to have his headache, you know, being stabilized, but it was hard. He could not sleep, really. Here I come to the workshop, get to the workshop, find that Joseph was also in the same room with him. You imagine it was hard for Bosco to sit in the same room where Bos- uh, Joseph is. But the two of them going through this journey, this process, the seven days. After the seven days, one, Bosco was able to forgive Joseph. Hmm. Secondly, completely healed from the headache, the ongoing headache, which oh, wow. has been going through over 10 years. But thirdly, now he's relating with Joseph well in the way that when I visited them last year, Joseph came, sat in the Bosco's house. We ate food together in, Jose- in Bosco's wow. house with Joseph, who have murdered Bosco's father. So that tells you a clear message. Wow. That transformation is happening, is taking place. That forgiveness, it's real. It's mm. possible. It's true. It's not just, you know, in theory, theory yeah. but it's practical. And that's one story among many. There are other many stories of, of widows who had lost their entire families. And today, they're able to forgive their perpetrators. So when seeing those signs and those powerful stories of forgiveness, it tells me that, hey, churches, Christians can fail, but God still has the power mm, to bring true, yep. true forgiveness, true reconciliation. So that's what is happening today in Rwanda. It's exciting. Yeah, it's it's and very encouraging and and when I see that's happening with so many 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 stories like Bosco and Joseph, what it tells me is God is not necessarily working in the four walls called church buildings that we've built. God is beyond that. Hmm. He's a God 
holy stores even beyond the church buildings. God is everywhere. You can find him when you open your heart. He's everywhere. But secondly, when as a Christian, sometimes we talk about forgiveness of our sins, it becomes sometimes very theoretical mm. that people don't believe it's possible. Or they think, yeah, you know, Jesus, God forgave us because he's God. But for us, how can you forgive someone who, you know, came to your house, broke in or hit with your car or whatever? But seeing that a genocide survivor can be able to forgive a perpetrator, that's, that's really mm. so powerful, amazing a power that's forgiveness from God. It's real and it's possible. It's not just theoretical mm-hmm. yeah. because it's there. And did Joseph, the perpetrator, the one that murdered his father, did yeah. he ask for forgiveness? Did he say he was sorry? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Joseph also, through the workshop, he was able to truly remorse and apologize and ask for mm-hmm. forgiveness uh, because himself understood that it is very important to him first because you know for genocide perpetrators, also themselves, with the shame and the guilt of what they have done, and with also what they have experienced being in the prison for years, and coming out of the prison, and also witnessing what they have caused to so many people around them, Mm -hmm. becomes so huge. So the workshop helps them to watch this reality in their Mm -hmm. faces. Because some of them still don't believe why they were arrested. They think it was government mm. which has pushed them to do that. But the workshop helps them to, one, accept their crime mm. deeply, acknowledge that it was evil, but also be able to open their eyes and see the consequence of their crime over many people. So mm. Here they are confessing, Joseph is confessing understanding truly that even if you won't get forgiven, but at least he has, for, he has, he has confessed. Mm-hmm. Very, very important to him. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome, Rick. Thank you for having me. That was Eric Scadabo having a chat with Christoph Bonyangabo in our Melbourne studios. Christoph is the executive director of CASA, which stands for Christian Action for Reconciliation and Social Assistance in Rwanda. And they are partnering with a local ministry here in Australia called Compelled by Love. So if you want to find out more information about Rwanda and the ministry that Christoph is a part of, you can go to the local website, compelledbylove.org.au. That's compelledbylove.org.au. Finally, we'll end with one of the key verses Christoph mentioned regarding reconciliation found in 2 Corinthians. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, all things have become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We pray that the country of Rwanda continues to heal and that its citizens will be reconciled to God and to each other. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Christoph's story and for the insights into what has happened in Rwanda. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I think it really is a big thing about trust. For me, it was, um, do I trust God to guide me, you know, into the unknown? Because I think a lot of the time in our lives, we do try and plan things. But, you know, when you go off overseas, and you don't know where you're going to live, what work you're going to do, you've only got so much money in the bank, 
you really need to trust God that he's going to direct your steps. Well, I guess you could say that Nikki Jeffrey has got the bug for travelling, so much so that she's even written a book about it called Faith-Based Travels, a devotional guidebook for the faith-filled traveller. We'll hear Nikki's story next time. The story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.